you are here. Thank you that you are good, so good. Father, thank you that you are strong, that you are stronger than any other. Lord Jesus, thank you that with you we are safe. Lord, I pray that you would help us now to to take these words in. Lord, let them not just be words on a page or words in our ears or words on my lips even. But Lord, let them be your words and, and let them speak to us. Thank you for your power. Thank you more for your love. Thank you that you are our wisdom, that is our righteousness and our life and our hope. Amen. So we're carrying on with our, our series on 1 Corinthians. Um, poor old Daniel is, is, when he's coming, Daniel from Bulgaria is going to be preaching on Corinthians as well. He's going to be doing the passage on, on 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which is all about what to do with the immoral brother. If memory serves me right, he was very unimpressed. But it's going to be a great sermon, and I'm glad I don't have to do that one. That's fantastic. So we're moving on. We started, we're still in chapter 1. Remember, we, we saw the first week that the Corinthians, Paul is writing to this church, and, and he starts off, it's a horrible church. There's factions everywhere. The rich people are poo-pooing the little people and the poor people, and some of them are saying, well, I'm a, I'm a true believer. Others are saying, well, well, Paul started this church, and, and I think I know what this church should be doing because I was, I was converted by Paul, don't you know? Others are going and saying, well, well Peter's the true church, and, and, and he's Hebrew, so let's say that we need to do all the legalistic stuff again. And, and, and then there's, there's others who say, oh, well, have you heard Apollos speak? He's just, wow, one direction, Apollos. He's just like brilliant. And, and the whole church is splitting into these factions, and they're all in the same congregation, but, but it's like there are different churches in the one place, and it's horrible. And Paul is writing to them, and he's been, he said last week, hey, you guys, what are you doing? It's not about factions. Get your heads back in the game. It's about Jesus who saved you, and it's about His cross. And Paul actually said, I'm so glad that I only baptized a few of you because now just about none of you can say, I belong to Paul. Because actually, if you're a Christian, you belong to Jesus. You are baptized into his name. And he writes on this week in, in chapter 118 and to the end of chapter 2. Read the rest of chapter 2 this afternoon, if you would. We're not going to have time to do it this week, but it's, it's fantastic. And, and Paul writes and he says, you know what? I know what you Corinthians are like. You guys are all there for sounding good. I know the city that you come from. I know the circumstances that you live in. And I know also that this gospel, this good news, it doesn't actually measure up to the wisdom of the world. Remember, Corinth was this place where philosophers would come and they would speak their philosophies of life and they would try and convince you. And Paul says, Gospel's not like that. Gospel's not like that. And he starts off, gives us a summary of what he's saying in verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. As it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. So Paul sets up his argument in this section. He says basically there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are perishing, there are those who are dying, and there are those who are being saved. That's it. Either you are being rescued by Jesus or else you are not being rescued, ergo you are dying. There's only two kinds of people in the world, and each of those two people, two kinds of people, will respond to the gospel, to the good news about Jesus in different ways. And that's what he's going to unpack for us right now. And, and, and I love this because Paul starts to us right away and he says, you cannot expect everyone in the world to respond positively to the good news about Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful if when we go knocking at the doors and say, welcome to the suburbs. By the way, where's, where's the new person? Tangadi Road. We'll get, we'll get Val to drop you off a, 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 a plant. We missed you somehow. When we do that, wouldn't it be fantastic if every single door we knocked on and we said, hey, Jesus loves you, the person says, wow, tell me more. Wouldn't it be fantastic if, if we just had to say, Jesus loves you, for people to go, oh yeah, I want to be in on that. And Paul says, actually, no, there's, there's two kinds of people. There's those who are perishing and those who hear the gospel. And it's a mystery how that works, but, but it's to do with God's calling. And so... There's a lot of clever people who give a lot of clever arguments for why Christianity is true. And I've got all the time in the world for that. I think it's fantastic to work out your good apologetics and good reasons to convince others why they should believe in Jesus. That's fantastic. In fact, if you read Acts, it's what Paul does. In Athens, he speaks in the context of the, of the city and, and he uses good logic and good reasoning to try and convince people. But at the same time, says Paul, the best logic is not what saves people. What saves people is God. And really, our best logic, when we come down to it, we're going to people and saying, hey, have you heard a criminal died in a backwater town in a bad part of the world where the Romans really hated everyone and now he's alive? Without God's Spirit, our message will be the laughing stock of the world. And yet, we have worldly wisdom which laughs at it and God's wisdom. Let's just start off and, and just quickly say that when Paul says that God's wisdom is greater than the worldly wisdom, we're not talking here about wisdom in all of its aspects. So there's some great worldly wisdom out there. Um, how does a plant make energy? That's fantastic wisdom. Um, I, all of those things. What we're talking about here is wisdom pertaining to how we are saved. How we are saved. Philosophy about how we are saved and what there is after this. That's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with 
with options on where we go from here and what we do with God. And the world has got all these options, and, and sometimes the world says one of the options is, oh, everyone's okay. Um, one of those letters you read, Fran, was, was mostly fantastic, the second one, except for the bit, I believe everyone will go where they're supposed to go one day. I want to know what the person meant by that. Other worldly option today would be, well, there is nothing after death. You die and then you decompose. You know all the different options. There's reincarnation. There's blah blahdy blah Back then in Corinth, there was, oh, well, you know, you've got you to placate the gods. And they will look after you in this world. And against all of these things, Paul says that people who believe those things will look at the gospel and they will laugh at you. And they will point at you and go, you fool! You believe in a dead God. Sorry, not dead. And Paul says, against that sort of wisdom stands the cross. Stands Jesus. One of the people I read said, said it this way. We see God speaking nonsense to a room full of philosophers and the religious. I love the idea of God's nonsense being so much stronger than the most powerful of wisdom. Isn't that fantastic? This is the nonsense gospel. And yet it's the most sense that we have. Gordon MacDonald, who's is a great preacher, says that, that if you are in marketing, first rule of marketing, first rule of marketing is to tell people what they need. Second rule of marketing is to know what people want to hear. If you want to get somebody on side, You've got to know what their weakness is. You've got to know what, what they want to hear. You've got you to know how to tickle their ears in just the right way that they'll go, oh, yes, I've always needed a, a thermodynamic mixer. By the way, go to Fran's house. She makes fantastic custard in her thermodynamic mixer. <laughs> but isn't it tempting? It was tempting back then. It's tempting now to say, if we want to see people coming to the church, then we need to know what, what they need to hear. And people these days, well, people these days want to know that they are loved. So let's just speak about love all the time. Or, or people these days need to belong. So let's just talk about belonging. And we'll maybe mention the cross at Easter, but, but let's talk about belonging. And we'll maybe mention the cross every time we do communion. But let's talk about love. minimize the cross and we minimize the gospel so that people won't be offended. Paul turns around in verses 20 and he says, well, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, 
God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. We've got two kinds of people, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Verse 21 explains how we, we came to this state. It's basically people thinking themselves wise said to God, we don't need you. And this is so often the root of, of human sin. I mean, even the story of the fall in, in, in Genesis is the story of, of Adam and Eve saying, we want to be wise like God. We don't actually need God to tell us. We want to know it for ourselves. We think we know better. We certainly would not choose, if we were starting a religion, we would not choose to start it with an electric chair equivalent. The Jews, says Paul, they looked for the miraculous proof. If you are the Messiah, save yourself. That's what they said to him as he hung there on the cross. If you are the Son of God, save yourself and us, said the criminal next to him. And Jesus didn't. For the Jews, the, the crucifixion of Jesus is the ultimate proof that Jesus is not the Savior and that this is not good news because they read Deuteronomy, I think, who said, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. If life doesn't go good for you, obviously God is upset with you. That is worldly wisdom, isn't it? If your life is not going well, then you must have done something wrong. Cause and effect. Just stretch that into the spiritual realm a little bit, and, and you see the logic of it there. The Greeks, on the other hand, the Greeks... The Gentiles, we, we, are, we are really descended from them in the way that we think. A lot of, a lot of even um, our theology, unfortunately, is dragged in from Greek philosophy rather than the Bible. And, and these Greeks, these Gentiles, the people that made up the majority of the Corinthian city and the Corinthian church, they, they thought that, that this kind of oh, speculative philosophy and ooh, thinking, thinking, thinking was the highest end, the highest ideal of humanity. And for them, they looked at the cross and they said, this is rubbish. This is a stumbling block. This is something to fall over. A suffering God? Gods don't suffer. Stands to reason. How can a God suffer? A criminal savior A way to know God, that's not about our figuring out how to know God. It's one of the unique things about, about Christianity, that it's not about us reaching God, but God reaching us. And the world says, get over yourself. If God's God, why would He want to deal with us? 
Paul's point is, is basically in verses 21 to 23 that the gospel sounds like foolishness. And so it's so tempting to just tweak it a little bit so that, so that we highlight the bits that the world thinks, hey, I can go with that. You know, it, it, it is so easy to convince people about a quarter of the truth. It's so easy. Read the census. Do you know how many Anglicans there are in our part of the world? It's like massive population of Anglicans. And yet you speak to Brian at the Anglican church and he'll say... Most of them don't have any connection to the church. Probably because they believe just a little bit. Just a smidgen. Enough to, to get your child christened. No more. The only gospel that can change a life, that can change a world, is the gospel of the cross, which is foolishness to the world. This is God's foolishness. And I love what Paul does here. He looks at the church. And the Corinthian church there, it had some nice people in there. Wait, scratch that. It had lots of nice people in there. It had some wealthy people in there. You had um, a church treasurer, uh, a city treasurer was one of the members of the Corinthian church. You had one, maybe two of the leaders of the Jewish synagogue. So high up people were members of the church. Um, you had maybe a couple of successful businessmen in the church. But Paul looks at the church as a whole and he goes, Wow, you guys are really the dregs, aren't you? Have you looked at yourself? Have you seen what God has decided to make up the church with? Not many of you, says Paul, are noble born. Not many of you speak like this. That's my attempt at a noble accent. Not many of you are, are influential. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you, of, the, of you are wealthy. You guys don't have much clout in society. You are the foolish, verse 27. You are the weak. You are the lowly. And Paul turns around and he says, do you see what God has done? This is kind of the way God works for the most part. He, he takes the impossible and does the amazing with it. So he takes these ordinary people and he does extraordinary things through them. The dregs of society in Corinth and all of a sudden he says, you guys are going to change this city and you're going to change the world and, and you know what? Even through your fighting and your bickering, 2,000 years later, you're going to be changing churches still. Isn't that amazing? God takes what is foolish to our world. He takes the fools of the world and He says, you will be the signpost of my wisdom. I reckon most of us would fit well into that church. Not many of us are 
living in mansions on the hills. And yet God has called us like He's called them to, to do amazing things in this world. Gordon MacDonald um, says again, and Paul tells the Corinthians, the only people who are going to buy your message will not buy it because they have been persuaded by the strength of your arguments. It will be because they are broken and shattered and hurt and wounded and they have discovered that having come to an end in themselves, nothing else works. That's the gospel, isn't it? And Paul says, the reason I believe not many of you are the high and mighty is because actually you've realized how absolutely bankrupt and broken you are and how much you need God. If everything is going well for you in your life, if you are floating on a bed of rose petals, A story about a guy who claimed to be God, who died and claimed to come alive again, is just going to get, going to shut up. But when you realize your need, and when you realize how hopeless your life is, when you realize where we stand before God apart from Christ, that's when all of a sudden you hear the story that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son to die for us. And all of a sudden it's, wow. And the spirit moves. I love how God uses the weak to confound the strong. Isn't that just a wonderful thing? Before the service, we had up on the board a verse from Ephesians. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. I love that. The strong church made of weaklings. The powerful church made of the disempowered. And Paul's writing to these Corinthians and he, he's, he's just gently poking them going, hey, Remember who you are. Because these guys were going around saying, Whoa, have you met me? I am wonderful. They had all these airs, and I'm better than you, and Paul's so much stronger than Apollos, and ha, 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 Peter, ha, ha. And, oh, I follow Christ. You guys are not really Christians. Paul looks at them and says, Do you remember who you are? Do you realize that your being saved is not because of who you are, but because of what God has done for you in Christ? There is, verses 29, 30, 31, there is no grounds for you to boast. You are the despised. You are the things that are not. And yet God chose to save you. And in Him we have received our righteousness and our holiness and our redemption. And so if you want to boast, 
Yeah, fine, let's boast. In, in Corinth, in that sort of society, boasting was, whoa, that's what you did. That's what you did. If you could speak well, people would listen to you. If you could convince them, you were brilliant. If you were a lawyer, you were in paradise. People would look up to the somebodies. And Paul says, you guys are nobodies. But let's boast about the somebody. You want to boast? Boast about God. Let not, what does he say there? He says, uh, right at the end there, it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Jeremiah 9.24. Do you know what Jeremiah 9.23 says? It's like Paul has just expanded on that a bit. It says, let not the wise person boast of his wisdom or the strong person boast of his strength, or the rich person boast of his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You think you're wise? You think you're strong? You think you're rich? Thank you. You want to boast? Boast in Jesus. He is wise. He is strong. He is rich. You're not, except in Him. <laughs> you do not boast about a gift that somebody else has given you as if it is all yours. You just don't do it. Paul turns around in verses 1 to 5 uh, of chapter 2 and he, he says, I've, I've, I've used you guys as an illustration of this. Let me talk about myself just for a minute here. When I came to you in Corinth, I deliberately chose that I was not going to play to the power plays of your city. I know how God works. God uses the weak. And, and by the way, Paul knew himself to be weak. I think all of us love and echo his phrase which says, I am the chief of sinners. Paul knew himself and he knew God. And he, and he was trying to be compelling. Paul didn't suddenly go in there and, and just blabber. He, he worked out what he was going to say and he worked out how to say it to the best. But, but he didn't change what he was saying. didn't put on a show for them. didn't put on a show. You know, it's really easy to play on people's emotions and to get them to change their minds. It's so easy. It, psychologists know how to do this, totally. You get the right lighting... You get the right mood, you get the right music. You get the right people around, and you can manipulate people's emotions until they think, oh, yes, that is so true. It is easy to manipulate people. It's very easy to... You, you know, there's, there's that old um, psychology um, test where they, they show everyone a piece of paper that is blue, and of the 12 people in the room, 11 of them, they've said to them, would you say that that paper is pink, even though it's blue? 
And so they bring the 12 people in and they, they hold up the blue paper and they say, what color is this paper? Oh, it's pink, it's pink, it's pink, it's pink. It's, and the last person's looking at it going, I'm sure that paper's blue. But when it comes to them, what do they say? It's pink. It's easy to muck with people's minds. And Paul says, I'm not here to play tricks on you. When I came to you guys, I wasn't playing tricks on you. I didn't give you a fancy light show and wow, music and hey, dancing on the stage. Paul says, when I came to you, I just came and spoke this nonsense gospel. I spoke nonsense to you guys the way the world defines it. He says in verse 3, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, wise in the world, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on humans' wisdom, but on God's power. The desire to succeed and, and the want to see converts must have been a very tempting thing for Paul to just tweak the gospel a little bit. And yet he knew that if he did that, the gospel would be made empty. Because there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are being saved through the foolishness of God, and there are those who call themselves wise and are being wise right into the grave. And without any amazing tricks. You know what? If I was trying to convince you, I wouldn't have a crow on the roof. <laughs> without any tricks of the trade, Paul just speaks and God works. And the foolishness of God as people's eyes and their hearts and their minds are opened is shown to be the wisdom of the ages. The truth of the gospel carries its own power. Are we happy to let the power of the gospel speak, the power of the cross speak, even if we seem foolish? Even if we seem foolish. You remember what David said as he was dancing before the ark of the Lord as, was, as it was being brought into Jerusalem? And I believe it was his, his horrible wife who looked down from the window and was really unimpressed with him. Ticked him off for being so undignified. I will be even more undignified than this. I will be as foolish as foolish is if that foolishness is the power of God. I dare you to be foolish this week. And when people respond badly, say, well, it's God's power, not mine. 
And when they respond amazingly, you go, wow, it's God's power, not mine. Friends.